I've been asked to apologize to those who are watching through the live stream. There's been a glitch of some sort, and so the video is likely not available. So you'll be hearing me, but not seeing me. The rest of you have the treat of, I guess, seeing me. Hosea. What a book. This morning, we will continue our series on the book of the Twelve, which is how these last twelve books of the Old Testament, that's how they were known to Jesus. He would have known them as the book of the Twelve. We know them as the minor prophets, and we've known them as that since the fifth century. They are the minor prophets not because they are inferior to the five books of the major prophets, but because they're smaller. That's all the word minor means. Minor means shorter in length. Altogether, these 12 books, they are about the size of one of the major prophets. By 200 B.C., all 12 of these books were written on one scroll. So they're just shorter. These prophets that we're going to read, they were preachers. And they were preaching to God's people over a period of about 300 years. Roughly 750 B.C. to 450 BC. And as I mentioned two weeks ago, all of these books, they share three common themes. The sovereignty of God, the holiness of God, and the love of God. So, look to see those themes today as we begin to study the oldest and the longest book of the Minor Prophets, Hosea. One more thing, if you are visiting with us today, this is not normally what we do. Typically, we take a book of the Bible, and then we take our time and we go through that book of the Bible verse by verse. But in this case, I've become convinced that that is not the best way to study these books. So instead, I'll be giving sort of overview sermons, and some we will be able to knock out in one Sunday, and others may take several weeks. In fact, I had originally planned to get through this book of Hosea in one week, but by Friday, my, my manuscript was 19 pages long. Normally, it's seven. So I knew that I was in trouble at that point unless you wanted to spend the afternoon together. So I did some what I call ruthless editing, and still, it's going to take us two weeks to 
get through the book of Hosea. Please come back. Please come back. This book, it is an amazing book. And it, it contains a shocking message of both judgment and hope. So with all that said, will you bow your heads with me? We should begin with prayer. Our Father in heaven, as we listen to this sermon, would you help us to understand and to apply your word? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles to Hosea. If you are using one of the Bibles in the seat back in front of you, you will find today's text on page 703. For the rest of you, good luck. It's in there. Keep looking. Chapter 1 of Hosea. Have this open on your lap. Look at the very first verse with me. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Let me introduce this book, 14 chapter book. Let me introduce it to you by giving you a little bit of background. This book of Hosea, by Hosea, I mentioned before, it's the longest. It is probably the oldest of all the minor prophets. And at this time, Hosea and Amos, that's another book we'll study, Hosea and Amos were prophesying in the north to Israel, while Isaiah and Micah were prophesying to Judah in the south. So remember, a couple hundred years before this, God's people, the twelve tribes of Israel, they had bitterly divided into two separate kingdoms. Ten tribes went north, and we know them as Israel. And two tribes stayed south, and we know them as Judah. And Hosea, he is prophesying, that is, he is speaking on behalf of God to the northern kingdom. He's also speaking to the southern kingdom, to Judah, but he's mostly addressing the northern kingdom of Israel. And he's doing it over a period of about 30 years. That's about how long the ministry of Hosea lasted. About 30 years. But it wasn't just any 30 years. It was the final 30 years of Israel that was leading up to the year, the infamous year, 722 B.C. When Israel's great enemy to the north, Assyria, in that year would come and conquer Israel, destroy all of her cities, and lead her people into exile. So the clock is ticking 
And Hosea is ministering in those last 30 years as Israel spirals downward. Now, look at the first couple pages. And flip through this book and you will see that there is a little bit of prose, but that most of it is poetry. Chapter 1 and chapter 3 and one paragraph in chapter 2. That's it, is narrative. And everything else in the book is poetic. And that's going to be the case in all of these books. Lots and lots of poetry. Fuhrer and Yeats, they wrote this in their book on the Minor Prophets. If prophetic literature is meant to speak to the heart more than the mind, and it is, let me say that one more time because that's important. We're going to be studying prophetic literature, prophecies by these prophets. And prophecy is meant mainly not to speak, as we would know it, to your mind, but to your heart, to your emotions. If prophetic literature is meant to speak to the heart more than the mind, and it is, then it is no surprise that most of the writing prophets addressed audiences in the form of poetry rather than prose. So you're going to see, these writers, they are gifted, highly skilled writers. The minor prophets they may be the best writers in the entire Bible. They were craftsmen with their words. And so we're going to find no shortage of loud and colorful and poetic imagery. Okay, one final note by way of introduction. There are basically two sections in this book. That's it. Chapter 1 through 3 is one section, and then chapter 4 through 14 is the second section. In chapters 1 through 3, we have all that we know about Hosea's personal life. And then in chapters 4 through 14, we have Hosea's prophecy. So, Hosea's personal life and Hosea's prophecy. His marriage and then his ministry. That makes up this whole book. So let's get started. Let's look at the first section, which is actually all that we know of Hosea's personal life. And the account begins in chapter 1. Look with me, verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. 
That is one of, if not the most shocking sentences in the entire Bible. God called Hosea into a marriage. And this is not the kind of marriage that I would expect God to arrange. This is shocking. God tells Hosea to marry a prostitute. Not a former prostitute. Not to marry a woman who may commit adultery, but to marry a woman who surely will commit adultery. Why? Why would you do that, God? Let's finish verse 2. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Here's what God is saying. Hosea, take this adulterous woman to be your wife because my people are in a condition of spiritual adultery against me. Think of it this way. The prophet is going to preach a sermon and his own family will be the main illustration. I understand this as a preacher. One of the last things that I do after putting together a sermon and getting all the content that needs to get together is I ask myself, what are some ways now to illustrate this? What are some real life examples that I can give that are going to help the point of this sermon to, to hit home for those who are listening? So Hosea, he is going to preach a message. He is going to preach a sermon, chapters 4 through 14, and this his own family is going to be the main illustration. Hosea's marriage would be a shocking and sad picture of God's relationship with His own people. It would be a living example. James Boyce, he summarized God's instruction to Hosea here this way. I am asking you, Hosea, to do this because we are to present a pageant to Israel by your marriage. It is going to be symbolic. It's going to be an object lesson. You, Hosea, are going to play the part of God. The woman is going to play the part of my people. The reason she is going to run away and be unfaithful is that this is the way my people act in the spiritual marriage that I have established with them. You are going to be faithful. Because I am faithful to Israel even though she dishonors my name. Verse 3. So he went and took Gomer. Gomer. 
as if we needed another reason not to name our daughters Gomer. If you were on the fence, I don't know. Gomer, Gomi, I like it. Not anymore. You're going to be off the fence when you read about this woman. She was the daughter of Diblaim. And she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel. Jezreel means scattered. Call his name Jezreel for in just a little while, I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Remember, Hosea's family is a picture of Israel. And the name of this first child, it is foreshadowing God's judgment. God is saying, I am about to scatter my people. Gomer has two more children. Though, the implication is that Hosea is not the father. These aren't Hosea's children. And their names, they are further announcements of God's judgment on Israel's spiritual adultery. Verse 6. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name. And some of your translations don't have the actual name. It was Lo Ruhamah, which means no mercy. Four. I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, the kingdom to the south. And he will for about 140 years. And then they will suffer the same fate as Israel in 586 B.C. And I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. And there was a third child, verse 8. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name. The name is Lo-Ami, which means not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. No mercy is the name of the second child. Not my people, the name of the third. And these names are prophetic. These names are describing God's pending judgment against His adulterous people. What a thing to call Hosea to. What a thing for God to call Hosea to. What a painful providence. He walks eyes wide open into a season of suffering as God looks to illustrate to Hosea himself and watching Israel God's own dysfunctional and tragic relationship with His people. Now, no wonder 
Hosea will write with such passion and emotion. So that is almost all we know of Hosea's personal life. We'll come back to chapter 2 and 3 and hear the end of that story. But now let's familiarize ourselves with the next section. This is chapters 4 through 14. It is the second long and final section where we have Hosea's prophecy. This is what he preached. So let's move now from his marriage to his message. And if you were to sit down and read this entire message, it might take you, I don't know, 45 minutes, maybe an hour. And I think it would be clear to you that there are two major themes to Hosea's prophecy. If you're taking notes, write these down. These are the two major themes, judgment and mercy. Those are the two glaring themes, judgment and mercy. Most of Hosea's words, which are from God, are pronouncements of judgment, but there is also significant declarations of mercy. This morning, we'll focus on the theme of judgment, and then next week, God willing, mercy. And in order to understand this judgment of God that we'll read some samples of in this book, in order to grasp this judgment of God, we need to get a handle on Israel's sin. Why was God so angry? That needs to be explained. Why, why when we read these words of God's wrath that is coming, why was God so angry with Israel? And I'll give you specific texts in just a minute, but let's first remember the illustration that God has provided. He's provided for us this illustration to help us feel the emotion of God toward Israel. Hosea's family was a picture of God's family. So ask the question, why would Hosea be angry? Why would Hosea be angry? Well, his wife, whom he had chosen and rescued and loved and cared for, she was a whore. And I mean that the way God meant that shockingly and literally. Hosea was a whore. Gomer was a whore. I misspoke. Hosea's wife she had turned from her husband and she had given herself to others. Sin.
Sexual intimacy in a marriage has several purposes. Children. Mutual enjoyment between a husband and a wife. But first, it is intimacy. It is the ultimate expression of love and devotion in a marriage. It speaks in a marriage. Sexual intimacy speaks in a marriage. It says, I always and forever am yours alone. Gomer's sin was adultery. Israel's sin was adultery. God had chosen and rescued and loved and cared for Israel and they were freely giving themselves to others. The biblical word for this spiritual adultery is idolatry. So we begin to understand through the illustration what the sin was of Israel. But let me read you some verses from Hosea so that you can see this sin. Chapter 4, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. That's sin. Verse 12 of chapter 4, my people inquire of a piece of wood. They were making material idols. And their walking staff gives them oracles. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their God to play the whore. Chapter 4, verse 17, Ephraim is joined to idols. Ephraim is another name for Israel. That was her largest tribe, just like Judah in the south. Chapter 6, verse 4. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. This is their sin. Chapter 6, verse 7. But like Adam... They transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. A covenant is a sacred bond between two parties. Marriage is a covenant. God's people, since Abraham, were in covenant with God. And like Gomer... They had broken it. Chapter 8, verse 1. Set the trumpet to your lips. One like a vulture is over the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. Verse 4. They made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. With their silver and gold, they made idols for their own destruction. I have spurned your calf, O Samaria. 
My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? For it is from Israel. A craftsman made it. It is not God. Chapter 9, verse 10. Like grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel. Like the first fruit on the fig tree in its first season, I saw your fathers. But they came to Baal Peor and consecrated themselves to the thing of shame and became detestable like the thing they loved. Chapter 10, verse 1. Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. That's enough. You get the picture. This would be a good time for us to ask ourselves, can we relate to Israel's sin? Can we relate to Israel's sin? You may be tempted to think, as I have been tempted to think, stupid Israel, material idols. I checked, nothing carved of wood in my house that I'm praying to, no little Buddha statue. I don't have anything that I am imagining is God or has power or I'm consecrating myself to it. I'm not doing in that sense. I am not doing what Israel did. But not so fast. Idolatry. Idolatry is the replacing of God with God's. Idolatry is valuing something more than God. David Powlison, before he recently died, used to talk about the grasping and demanding nature of the human heart. The grasping and demanding nature of the human heart. I want, I want, I need, I need, I must have, I must have. We all have inordinate life-ruling desires. We have lusts, we have cravings, and we are all tempted to want them more than we want God Himself. It's just a matter of identifying them. What are the idols that have a hold of my heart? So, do you see idolatry in your life? Where are you prone to wander? Maybe these will be some helpful questions to get an answer to that question. What do you organize your life around? Maybe it's God. I hope it's God. I bet it is sometimes other things. What do you organize your life around? What must you have? What must you have? You want it so badly. 
Where do you go for comfort? What controls your emotions? Did you get angry this last week? I did. What did you get so angry about? Were you happy this last week? What were you so happy about? Were you sad? What were you sad about? You afraid? What were you afraid of? Lots of idols we might have. Money, possessions, control, approval, independence, individuality, body image, success. Maybe good things gone wrong. Good desires that become ruling desires. Good things that we should want, but should not want more than God. Like our families. Kids. Sports. Can all become idols. Do you understand that God takes it personally? Isn't this what the illustration shows us? God takes our sins of idolatry personally. Just like you take sins against you very personally. Chapter 7, verse 13, God said, Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction to them, for they have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. It is personal for God. Hosea understood this, which is partly why he wrote as passionately and forcefully as he did. And thank goodness he did, because we need words like this to pierce our hearts. That was Israel's sin, their idolatry, their adultery. And now here is how God is going to respond. Here are these pronouncements of judgment to Israel. Chapter 5, verse 11. Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment because he was determined to go after filth. 8, 6. The calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. 9, 7. The days of punishment have come. The days of recompense have come. Israel shall know it. 10 verse 2. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. Chapter 12 verse 13. By a prophet the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt and by a prophet he was guarded. Ephraim has given bitter provocation. So... His Lord will leave his blood guilt on him and will repay him for his disgraceful deeds. 
There's so many more verses we could read. To Israel. Hard words announcing God's coming judgment. This theme of judgment, it is the most pervasive theme in the book. In conclusion, I do want us to walk out of here today with a sense of the seriousness of sin. And God's judgment of it. After all, indictments of sin is most of what this book of Hosea is about. But, that is not all this book is about. And so I'd like to end with Hope. Remember, this is a shocking message of judgment and of hope. This book of Hosea, it is, it is not merely a prediction of God's coming judgment. That is not all this book is. Uh, just a prediction of the judgment that is coming, and so it's over, it's done, the clock is ticking, there's nothing that you can do about it. It also contains this message of hope. And so God will call them to repent. God will call His people to return. There is hope in this book. God said this, through Hosea's words, and I'll read an example shortly, but God also showed it through Hosea's life. So sin, judgment, wrath, what Gomer deserved, what Israel deserved, what you and I deserve, there is this loud message of judgment. But then there's also this message of hope. And God speaks it through Hosea's words, but He also shows it through Hosea's life. First, God said it through Hosea's words, and you need look no further than the front of your bulletin. Chapter 11, verses 8 through 9. And keep in mind all these verses that we just rattled off about Israel's sin and God's judgment. And then here in the middle of this book are, some would say, the sweetest words of the Old Testament. Chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? We'll look more closely at those two cities next week. But those cities were right next to Sodom and Gomorrah. My heart, this is God 
speaking through Hosea. My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. God would punish them. God would discipline them. But He would not destroy them. He would save a remnant. God speaks this message of hope through Hosea. And He also, He shows it. Remember the beginning of that story that started so terribly. Let's read the end of the story as we know it. What came of Hosea's family? We read the start. Here's the end. It's a very short chapter. James Boyce, his opinion was this is the best chapter in the Bible. We do well to read it over and over this week. By Hosea chapter 3, Gomer has hit rock bottom. She's hit rock bottom. She's left Hosea. She's ended up selling herself into slavery, likely returning to the way that she lived before Hosea. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And the Lord said to me, Go again. Love a woman that is Gomer. Man, I'm going to try to get through this. Because it's working. The illustration's working for me. Go again and love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. Though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins, so I bought her, redeemed her, for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince. Without sacrifice or pillar. Without ephod or household gods. Afterward... The children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to His goodness in the latter days. Here's the point. Gomer did not get what she deserved. Israel did not get what she deserved. What about you? What about you? 
In God's judgment, we see what sin deserves. In God's judgment, we see what sin deserves. Israel's idolatry and our idolatry deserves judgment. It is adultery. It is spiritual adultery. It is no different than what Gomer did to Hosea. And yet, praise be to God. He may not give you what you deserve. Because God does not give His people what they deserve. Are you His people is the question. Gomer did not get what she deserved. Israel does not get what she deserves. What about you? I don't know. I don't know whether or not at the end of the day, each of you is going to get from God what you deserve. I know that if you do, God is just and right, no matter how much I love you. But I do know that if you trust Jesus, and if you believe on Him, you will be saved. Through Christ alone. And God's judgment of Him on the cross in your place, you may be forgiven. So let me close with 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 18 through 19. And then chapter 2, verse 24. And finally, chapter 3, verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Silver, gold, bread is how Hosea bought Gomer back but we have been bought Christian by the precious blood of Christ. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Amen. Let's pray.
Our Father in heaven, we thank you for these words that you have inspired Hosea to write. We thank you for what you have spoken through him and what you have shown us through his family, which serves to us as an illustration of our own sin and of your great love for us. God, we turn our attention now to celebrating, remembering, proclaiming together the death of your son by which we are saved. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.